Welcome to this new episode of the Business of AI. Uh, today, we're going to uh, deep dive into a very interesting topic called the uh, visual quality inspection for manufacturing. We are here with David Moore. Hi, Dave. Hi, how are you, Luca? Thanks for having good, me Good, good, good. Yeah, we're, we're very happy and very excited about this conversation. So where are we finding you today, uh, David? Uh, I'm at HQ here in Budavant in County Cork. Uh, Visca Systems headquarters. So, Wonderful. Uh, yeah, calling in. Uh, so, yeah, thanks for having me on. Friday, good weather. So the the weekend is seems to be pro promising. Yeah, we we try to be positive about it and see. Yeah. Excellent, excellent. Listen, do you want to give us a, a quick introduction about yourself? Like, tell us a little bit more um what you're doing what you're, bu you're busy with uh, we know that you are one of the founders of visca um high-tech company specialized in uh, yeah manufacturing technology right that's correct yeah so what we say in our marketing tagline is uh, that we create intelligent automation that can move think and see so we try to integrate uh, the vision sense with the motion sense so uh, this involves various technologies. At the moment, what is really popular for us is working with robotics and cameras. Uh, and this can be the camera mounted to the robot, for example, and we're using that to inspect assemblies. So this is really the kind of core business uh, that we're working on at the moment. Uh, and in the background of that, I suppose, what we're talking maybe about today is how AI is used in that. And uh, this is really an enabling technology for us in robotic inspection. And what is your role in the company, Dave? So I'm the CEO. Um, Visca started uh, seven years ago, just over seven years ago. So we're in year number eight now. And uh, we started off as a company. We knew that we would have, let's say, some new applications coming online that would require better you know, use of the vision sense to guide robotics. And we started off mostly actually working in CNC type projects where we're doing high accuracy motion uh, using vision guided feedback. And uh, over time, we found our real niche and our strength as a company uh, in the vision market. Uh, so here we are partnered with some of the market leaders, such as Cognix. And we're integrating a lot of their high-end technologies uh, to a good level in a variety of industries, including medical device, semiconductor, automotive, and food and beverage. And at the moment, we work in Ireland. We have a lot of customers in Ireland. We also have customers in the UK. We're selling directly also into customers in the US. And we have some customers in Japan and China also. So quite uh, quite diverse industries and locations. Wonderful. Now, let's uh, help our audience to un get an understanding of uh, what will you mean by visual quality inspection and why vision uh, is uh, so important in, uh, in, 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 uh, in this industry. Yeah, so I, I suppose this comes as a greater um, part of the, the general move towards more automation. And, you know, as we know with the, these buzzwords that are used these days, like Industry 4.0, where we're moving mm -hmm. more to more intelligent automation. So maybe in Industry 3, we may have had some robots uh, picking some parts and placing them based on some algorithms or, or, or previously coded instructions. Now we're at a stage where, okay, how can I make my manufacturing more flexible so I'm giving the machine some intelligence to be able to make decisions uh, by itself to, to, to an extent on a part-to-part -part basis. And what this is really enabling on, on the greater scale is 
automation of more day-to-day tasks. So if we look at, uh, let's say, industries that are already well automated, such as maybe electronics manufacturing, uh, you look at the components, they are very well, uh, you know, uh, the form factor, the shape, the size of these parts is very well defined. There are very set standards. There are very set uh, machine machine sizes available for handling these different parts. The form factors are really designed for manufacture, and this has enabled electronics to be automated in a very good way. However, say, for example, we have a bakery down the road that has some uh, bread manufacturing. This is like a lower volume, very high variety uh, environment without, let's say, automation skills, without a particular standard of what the product looks like. And because of that, automation needs to become a lot more flexible to enable those applications, because not only do we need to deal with more variation in how the parts look, but also with variation in you know the, the level of skill that is required to apply this technology. And this is really where kind of AI is coming in. And in the background of that, to answer your direct question around visual inspection, this is one of the most common tasks uh, across industries that is still performed by humans, possibly because in many ways, it's actually a very difficult task to automate, but the latest AI technologies are really enabling us to go in and in a very cost-effective economical way, perform what previously were very, very difficult inspections based on human intuition, human experience, and a sense of what looks right or looks wrong. And that's really where we are now with uh, visual inspection. Excellent. And uh, can you give us um, a couple of examples of uh, quality inspection tasks? Uh, You were mentioning, uh, yes, the the, the non-conventional ones like bakery, for instance, uh, and uh, food manufacturing and food food, uh, uh, production. So what what are the typical quality issues there? So say, for example, in baking, okay, mm-hmm. I guess what everybody's trying to do is uh, improve the quality so they don't get customer complaints. And that's really the, the goal uh, and to have maybe a better or a safer product. And when we look at baking, I don't know, what would you say? Are you, would you mind that much what a, a loaf of bread looks like when you go to the shop, if you're going to buy it? Well, I'm Italian. I spent like 10 years uh, in France. So my standards for bread are... <laughs> maybe different <laughs> your, your standards um, are very high okay 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 <laughs> so i might i would say that yes uh, if you are french uh, you you care about you know the the aesthetics the the aesthetic yes. appearance of a baguette for instance okay and this is really interesting this is actually a really good point so if you were to say what defines a good looking baguette if i describe I think, it it uh, might be different from what you describe it i'm presuming I think so. It's yeah, it could be quite subjective. I agree. It's very subjective and it's it's very difficult to put a number on. You can't really quantify this in any meaningful way. And this is exactly where AI is kind of coming in uh, and using specifics such as deep learning as a as a route we can automate some of these uh, types of inspections. So like for example, if we look at bread, it's not really that critical. Maybe your customers would not be that happy if it doesn't look perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, however, if we then look at, for example, uh, maybe what I would consider a critical application as in a medical implant, okay? Mm-hmm. Because if you have a, a pacemaker or a stent or a hip joint fitted and something goes wrong with that, you're into considerable uh, difficulty as a patient. You have patient suffering, you have recalls. It's, it's a very, very bad situation 
and also it's it's dangerous for the patient okay and in this kind of situation uh, the the level is a lot more critical so what we're really finding i suppose with the visual inspection is that um some industries are easier to to implement in than others if you look mm -hmm. at medical device they are forced um, by fda regulations to inspect things to a high level and because of that they are willing to spend more cash to look at these problems if you look at a bakery it's probably lower margin and mm -hmm. uh, maybe it is more difficult for them to automate because of that in a, in a cost-effective way so based on this uh, i would say the you know where we're really going uh, and what the cloud has enabled, I think, is that people from all over the world now using AI are able to collect and share data in a way so they can solve these individual problems and we can we can try to proliferate automation into all sectors rather than just the ones who maybe are higher margin or have a reason to look at it. From what you're saying, I can clearly see two main benefits of uh, an AI or a learning approach towards visual quality inspection. Um, one of them is, as you mentioned, flexibility. So it is actually hammering all those degrees of freedom, shape, form, size, color, um, because, you know, it's so powerful, right? Because the deep, especially deep learning, it's so powerful and it's learning from the data. And, you know, it is, it is allowing a little bit more uh, variability in, in the type of products that... Um, are observed and inspected. The second one, which I find very interesting is, you know, the, the definition of quality. So you were saying that there is this problem, sub subjectivity, um, that is uh, essentially um, encapsulated at the moment uh, in the mind of the quality inspectors, because a, a well-trained quality inspector, I imagine, has this notion of quality. Uh, and this notion of quality, since it's subjective, cannot be uh, learned or cannot be uh, dealt with with traditional approaches. So do you want to tell us, can we step back one uh, for one second and tell us uh, tell and discuss a little bit more about what was um, you know here before deep learning and I'm talking about machine vision. So what are the when is machine vision uh, uh, coming short uh, in these kind of examples and what motivated then the transition towards this new, um, say a, a version or this new uh, yeah a type of tools uh, which are based on deep learning okay and I, I think you know in, in the history of machine vision it's, it's really been around since uh, the, the 80s and I suppose the tools that have been used to date are what we call now classical tools they are mm -hmm. based on mostly some form of edge detection um, the more sophisticated tools are built on many layers of edge detection um, or, or feature detection within images and because of that because they work only on let's say specific edges it can be limiting in terms of subject subjective inspections how you could use those tools to really quality check okay so let's say it is possible for example to inspect a loaf of bread using classical tools. I mean, you could get the outside length, you could measure the width, you could measure the height and understand the volume. Um, you could quantify the color um, and you could maybe, you know, 
quantify uh, defects let's say if it's cooked too long in the oven and it's burned you know by the color and, and possibly by a change in the shape okay however within that you have let's say uh, and bread is probably a good example you have high levels of, of acceptable variability okay so if you take a baguette for example i'm getting hungry now thinking about all of this food <laughs> but if you take a baguette and you have some uh, cuts across the top of the the baguette when it's baked okay um fundamentally it may be acceptable for the manufacturer maybe not to your standards <laughs> but it could be acceptable to have uh, cuts in, sometimes in different directions or in, in, in slightly different shapes and for example it would be more troublesome to set up a machine vision system to train it on something like a golden template to be able to take one image and compare it directly by the pixel values to the other so what deep learning allows us to do is to be able to take a data set of what we think is acceptable in good and acceptable in bad and to automatically train a very, very, very complex calculation uh, or, 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 or model to fit to the data space that can account for this acceptable variation. And using it, that approach, it makes it a lot quicker for people to deploy these types of complex applications. And, and typically so it, it's enabled certain certain ones like this now um where's the roi because yes there is a there is the promise of uh, you know extended flexibility um you know potentially having a, you know all that subjectivity gone but you know the reality is that machinery manufacturers and also manufacturers in general I mean, they have, they already have consolidated workflows. They have uh, systems in place, uh, and uh, to replace those systems, uh, there's a lot of upfront investment uh, to be made. Um, here, I'm talking not only about about the algorithmic side, but also about the sensors, you know, cameras, uh, processes, workflows. So, how can you, um, you know, what, how can you convince uh, your clients uh, uh, to embrace this new? paradigm or this new technology and that's a really interesting question um because in my experience this can be different for every customer okay take a uh, you know like a food manufacturer where the margins are lower the goal to get them across the line to achieve a suitable roi might be higher there are some exceptions to this say for example if uh, and I know this because some of our customers do this. They they maybe are exporting food to China, for example, and they have a, a contract. Mm-hmm. Uh, and on import of those uh, goods into China, there is a very thorough inspection. So, for example, if you send uh, a loaf of bread, for example, I'm not sure if that's something that ships very well, but say you sent a loaf of bread and it has a best before date on there and it's not printed correctly or it's missing to some digits in that can actually cause the whole shipment to be returned back to the to the manufacturer in Ireland. And here's where you get into how do you calculate the cost of error? So, for example, if you have a very high cost of error, so you get a whole container of, of your goods returned from the far side of the world, the cost of this error is very large. I know the, the cost of implementing deep learning looks very attractive beside this. Um, equally, take a, a safety application like medical device. The cost of somebody, 
apart from the moral side of maybe them getting a product that would be bad and uh, the pain and suffering that goes with that, but there's also very big financial consequences for a medical device manufacturer. If that happened, they might have a recall. They might have, uh, you know, some fines or they, they might have a lawsuit, something like this. So there's obviously a very big uh, return on investment because you're preventing something bad happening there. Unfortunately, you know, um, sometimes this comes too late in the process. Uh, it, it, people don't act until something bad happens and then it's a reactive process. But this is really, I, I think, you know, where we can help protect, let's say, our customers. And we help uh, protect, uh, I guess, the consumer in the end because they're getting a better quality product in general. Interesting that you're not mentioning, uh, you know, speeding up processes uh, and um, you know saving uh, uh, saving time, uh, increasing uh, cycle time. I would have, been, I would have, you know, my intuition would have been to think that, you know, that would be the primary driver. I like uh, making things faster, but maybe they're already, you know, very optimized. It, you know, it, this depends on the process. For example, if you have, um, we have some customers say in semiconductor, um, they have inspection processes that manually take 30 minutes. Uh, we do it in three. Okay. So yes, in this case, it's a clear time saving. If you were to take the end of line inspection of an engine, for example, another one of our customers in automotive, they end of line inspection, they maybe have 50 things to inspect. Is it quicker for a human to position themselves and to look in around different things to, to try and inspect different areas. For some inspections, humans are still equally as fast, you know, in, in this case. Even if the robot were to move quicker, if it does find a fail, it could be a case that, you know, uh, a wiring harness is in the way or a hose is positioned slightly differently and that caused the automation to say, no, this looks like not good. Then a human needs to go double check and override the answer, this type of thing. So there are certain, uh, certain applications where you can say, yes, there's a very clear advantage of uh, you know, increasing the speed. There are other ones where it's really more about just catching quality and it's really just about getting an ROI by, by reducing the cost of error or eliminating that cost. I wonder, uh, is there an ethnographical, uh, cultural uh, driver you know, that is pulling your clients uh, away from this kind of technology. The usual sentence, uh, we have always been it, uh, we've always done it this way, or, you know, we trust our guys. Uh, we think that, you know, we can do it manually. We think we can do it better manually and, and yeah, maybe even faster. Do you see any kind of uh, reaction like the ones that I just mentioned? Um, I don't know really like in the customers that we deal with um, if, if this is the case where it's, it's really about trust with what their, their guys are able to do on the shop floor. Uh, it's really about, you know, accepting that humans have limitations. Okay. And we, we know we've done studies with customers, for example, in weld inspection. So we're inspecting welds and medical devices. We had 16,000 images of welds. Um, with the actual physical part beside it, and uh, the customer gave us three operators. We put them, we had a user interface where they got the picture uh, that was taken. They had this part, they could inspect it under the microscope. They could look in the microscope, say, yeah, I think it's good. And then they can correlate to the image and say, this is a good image. And we had three, three operators do that exact same operation. 
the results were very interesting. Um, when you look at the the output, so for, for all of the parts that were obviously good, they all agreed. For everything that was obviously a defect, they all agreed. But in the middle, they disagree 40% of the time. And the question is in your process, how much, and this is like a human behavior. So how, in your process, how many, what percentage of your yield of, of your process is in that 40%? Because if you have a lot, you're going to have a hard time automating, right? Because you're never going to really be sure if it's good or bad. And because if the human can't really decide, then how, how's the, the system going to do? So what we did with some customers in this particular instance was we would work with them to say, okay, well, how can we look at the process to make the process more repeatable to reduce the, the amount of your yield that lands in this 40% I don't know zone <laughs> and then, you know, and, and to drive things that are more either good or bad. And so with some little process improvement by improving this one or 2%, it changes the whole outlook of the project. And this can actually make it viable then for the customer. So in this case, it's, it's not really about saying, okay, we, we don't trust the, the humans. These humans were actually doing very good inspections. However, the three of them disagreed 40% of the time on, on, on certain types. And it wasn't until we actually went to implement AI that anyone looked at it in this level of detail. And that's one kind of side benefit of, of moving in, in this sense. But yeah, to answer your question, I think in Ireland, in particular, um, there there have been some studies done by um, you know these market research reports, and they're really reporting a very high adoption of AI in Ireland. Uh, where actually, I the, the report I read it said Ireland was the leading country in Europe for the adoption of AI in manufacturing. So I think it's showing a very kind of open mind to companies here, um, and often because we have a lot of international companies here. When it works in, in their Irish plant, then they start bringing it out into the international base because they can see they can get the return on investment. So it's kind of, it's it's a good point and it's a, it's a positive of the mindset. Very interesting indeed. I wonder, um, you said something interesting before because you said essentially change the process to increase the consensus on quality. And That's a very nice way another, to put it. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, thank you, Dave. This, there is another way, I think, to deal with uh, poor you know, consensus, which is increase the number of judges. Um, so instead of three, I'm pretty sure that if you were putting 30 or 50 um, you know, operators, you would have seen a nice caution or a, guy, a nice distribution, or maybe not a nice distribution, but you, know, you would have seen this distribution peaking around uh, a specific value if uh, you know you had to uh, score with values between zero and one okay um, obviously this is an expensive approach right right and this is uh, i imagine the promise of ai being able to capture that um, consensus and uh, replace uh, that variability uh, that the humans are still subject to does does it does that sound right it's a really interesting point, and you just have me thinking here as you as you say that. I mean, this brings us maybe onto a, a, a challenge, maybe that's more unique, maybe to machine vision. Um, and I think we we talked about this previously one time when we spoke uh, about the difference maybe between computer vision and machine vision. And you know, in the computer vision field, the not only is is say the task maybe slightly different, 
but the access to data is different. Okay, you can have data from any part of the world. People can upload, they can share data. You have a Kaggle and you have large data sets and you can train your, your, your models on this to do everyday tasks. However, within machine vision, not only, let's say, are we, uh, do we constrain the environment more, how we take images, et cetera, et cetera. However, we also are very constrained in how we can use data. And for example, while in computer vision, you might be able to have a crowdsource way of lab labeling data or to get a consensus. There is no uh, company who is manufacturing their product uh, that really wants to share images of their product outside of their organization. And this is, I think, one of the, the key uh, barriers maybe to, to crowdsourcing and to getting a, a wider consensus. And this can even be within the same company, but different divisions. They, they might have their own IP, let's say, per division. So it's a, it's a really interesting point. And I wonder how you could actually make that possible, that you could have enough trained eyes to look what's a defect, what's not a defect, to be able to increase the consensus. Because uh, I, I, to your point, it will probably be not economically viable to do this on a in a single factory and get 50 operators to to inspect all these images it will be a massive massive investment this is interesting because you know when we think about confidentiality we're always talking and thinking about banks we're talking about you know healthcare um, companies that you know have to manipulate data confidential data of patients but uh, indeed, confidentiality is a bigger barrier towards uh, AI and machine learning, even in manufacturing. Here's the thing, uh, David, in other, uh, in other sectors, like for instance, financial services, we have seen emerging uh, techniques uh, for you know, overcoming problems uh, related to confidentiality. And I'm talking here about um, federated learning, for instance. It's a way to distributing the algorithms um, for training and so that you can preserve confidentiality and still have a, a model that is trained on a large scale data sets that are distributed among you know different banks okay and nobody needs to move the data you just move the algorithm uh, maybe this is the way to go you know maybe uh, you know a manufacturing company in uh, china um, uh, might want to share uh, their or not china maybe it's not the right example let's say uh, Belgium and France, okay, the two manuf uh, automotive manufacturing companies are sharing uh, pictures of a specific part and they are both benefiting from, uh, you know, these uh, enhanced models because they both contributed to the um, training uh, uh, of these models. I mean, we're talking about science fiction probably because I, I don't see how to make it work in practical, practical uh, terms. Uh, but there are examples of uh, industries where uh, this data sharing, uh, um, you know, exists and it works well. Uh, if you think about avionics, for instance, I didn't know that until recently that uh, all the airline companies in the world are, you know, when there is uh, the unlikely event of a, a, a crash, uh, they are uh, sharing all the data, all the telemetry and all the data of uh, the, the plane. Uh, when he was flying, and uh, this uh, database is accessible by every every single airline. They say many people say that this contributed to uh, the dramatic re uh, reduction of accidents because people are constantly learning at every iteration. 
at every failure of one single airline or every other airline and uh, every other uh, manufacturer learns how to make those planes more secure and better. Now, what do you think about this? What's your in intuition when you, you're listening to this, you know, future opportunities? Yeah, and these are like the really nice ideas, aren't they? Um, when you think of, uh, let's say, the, the greater cause of society maybe and, and, and how we can improve things. And I wonder, I think at the moment you see AI is being adopted by companies in a way that when they get their own inspections working to a good level, they're looking at it as a tool that gives them a good edge over their competitor. It's not really like, um, you know, if I'm uh, making car ba batteries for cars, for example, uh, and I have a good way to inspect them because this is quite a tricky task, let's say, you know, do I want to share that with my neighbor or am I going to reduce my own cost and, and get a competitive advantage by just reducing the cost of manufacture and improving the quality over my competition? And I, I think it's a really interesting point. How do we get multiple competing entities to share data in a way um, that, yes, preserves their immediate confidentiality, but also preserves their competitive edge? Well, there is one one uh, answer, one possible answer, which is you know regulation, you know, and you know regulation and the uh, you know the the ability that governments have to um, yeah regulate the market where these companies operate uh, could be a good driver towards this uh, uh, you know objective of sharing more data, sharing more data, sharing more knowledge. Because uh, at the end of the day, you know, quality is about consumers <clears throat> and, uh, you know, consumers are, um, you know, the, the most important thing for companies and governments. And all these companies have uh, essentially the same objective, you know, making those consumers and customers happier um, and fulfilling some certain criteria that are imposed by regulators. So maybe this is a, this is an ax this is a, a way to go, but hey. I feel like uh, we have already discussed enough about it's really, these it's, topics. It's, 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 I, I think this one you could talk, I think, for a long time because there's some very interesting ideas. And, and maybe just to put a tiny point on the end of that, I, I have seen um, recently actually uh, a company who did apply AI in, in a way that solved problems for multiple companies that was a major headache for all of them. And uh, I guess they brought together like... Uh, like a focus group let's say of these companies to say what common problems do you have and uh you know then they agreed that you know maybe each of them would fund part of the development and they were able to use this to be able to go out and and solve a problem for each of them that is related exactly to regulation okay and i think this is a really valid point it's interesting within um say medical devices i wouldn't have thought maybe this is as common but maybe Maybe this is something that's worth keeping in mind. Maybe we should be more open-minded about that. That's a good point. But um, let, let, let's let's go back to let's go back to the the process and let's discuss a little bit more because I feel I think I, I feel our audience would like to know a little bit more about you know how you work and how you um, you know you get you get into a new client and you. Uh, walk with them towards the resolution of their visual quality uh, challenges. Can you tell us a little bit more about how you do it, maybe to an example? 
Yeah, sure. I, I could walk you. So let's let's assume you have a company and you call me in and you're making some some parts and you want to automate some inspections. So um, I think the first thing we 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 look at is okay, where is the best ROI in your manufacturing process? An example of this could be okay, if I have an assembly and I need to do 50 quality checks at the end of the line and I'm producing 10 parts per day, this is going to be very difficult to automate because you're going to have quite a bit of, uh, you only have 10 parts per day to take images. So your data set is going to be quite limited. Uh, typically in machine vision, it's not so much like computer vision where let's say you might uh, have classification tools and you might train it on 5,000 pictures of dogs if you're looking to create you know, a video camera that picks up dogs. This is not really how it works in machine vision normally. Uh, normally, it, you come along and you collect very specific image set for each data point that you want to analyze. And you create a very specific model for each data point. So if you have 50 data points on a one given assembly at the end of your line, it's very challenging to get all of them to work at 99.9%. .9%. So the overall efficacy of your station is 99.8, you know, so it's, it's, it's more difficult. If you move upline into your manufacturing process, say you have 10 stages to your manufacturing process, it may be more economical and better return on investment to put in multiple systems along the line where each line, each system can perform one or two inspections uh, that is much quicker to actually implement, much quicker to validate and obviously, and it also gives you better insight to where on your line you're getting manufacturing problems. So we can aggregate all of this data to, to, to do that. So that's the first thing we would do is we look at where is the ROI. The second thing we would do then is to look at the environment. How would you mount a camera? How does it work with the operator? Um, how do we optimize the lighting? And really, we're looking to understand what is the process here. Uh, different examples could be, okay, we have a mechanical assembly and we want to check that a bolt has been inserted in a particular place. That's one, one type of inspection is presence, absence. Another could be, okay, I'm looking at medical device packaging. Do I have a hermetic seal or do I have foreign matter? So you could be looking for a hair on a 300 by 300 millimeter surface, you know? So then you need to look, okay, what kind of resolution do we need to look at? What kind of optics are we going to use? What kind of lighting is going to highlight the defects the best? So this takes a little bit of understanding. Already at this stage, you need to have a good idea of what kind of defects normally occur. Um, again, for a mechanical assembly, this is quite simple because you want to detect if a bolt is in place. You have a pass condition, you can create a pass condition by having the bolt in place. If you need a fail condition, you take the bolt out, you take another picture, job done, okay? It's very easy. If you have something like a... Um, seal inspection or a foreign matter inspection foreign matter could look like anything right so it could be something tiny it could be something large it could have a different contrast it could be transparent it could be reflective so it's very difficult to cover all of the bases and in this case you need to get quite creative in terms of okay how, how am i going to generate what the highest risk type defects are so this is when you kind of try to optimize the lighting and the camera setup uh, with those requirements in mind. Once you, that's kind of tied down, uh, you work with the customer to understand what's a good sample look like and what's a bad sample look like. Uh, so here we capture a data set using the camera. We analyze the data set. We get the operators, the skilled operators to say, yeah, this is an example of a good or a bad. And then we're able to take that data, go to the next stage, which is implement some models 
you implement the models, you have your training data, you have some validation data, and you have some maybe a test data set. And then always you need to test online and you need to test for robustness. A common challenge really would be, for example, if you install a camera on a line, uh, the line or the, the, the brightness in the factory changes between summer and winter because they have skylights on the roof, for example, or you're near a window and sometimes the sun is shining directly inside. Does this affect the vision system? Does this, could you get a situation where it's telling you it's a good part when it's actually a bad part? And you need to test for all these fail cases, not only from what can happen on the part, but also uh, outside in the, from the external environment. And then once you're happy with how that performs, then you can deploy. Um, and this is really when you start to get your ROI. So it's not a small investment normally upfront to, to, to deploy these systems. Um, but it is getting better because we've new newer technologies such as edge learning coming online. So that's quite interesting. That's that's um, that's that sounds like a very well oiled uh, process, very you know structured and quite uh, uh, quite well defined. We also we've know done it that a few times. <laughs> I imagine. Uh, plus, you know the, I think the setups are. Pretty, not all the same, but quite quite the same, right? Uh, I wonder instead about edge cases because you mentioned uh, before that you know typical typical cases where it fails. It's because of brightness, because of illumination, and you know there are many other examples of computer vision application that kind of work, but then they don't, and they don't uh, um, because of yeah the performance maybe it's not on par with expectations. So what do you do, David, when? You know, the, yeah, those expectations in terms of accuracy are not met. Yeah, and, and this is really a, a challenge to, to look at, right? Because when people think about automation, they expect something that's going to work more or less 100% of the time. Mm. Okay? And it really depends on the type of visual quality inspection if you're doing. If you're doing a measurement and you're using classical tools and you have your optics optimized for that and you know, you're taking repeatable measurements and it's all calibrated and you don't have like external influences like vibration or temperature to worry about, in this case, you should expect it to work pretty much 100% of the time for, for measurement, okay? Because it's a, it's a simple given known algorithm, okay? With deep learning, you have to be very careful because... You could train uh, samples that are examples of good or bad. So you could have a, a carton of milk, for example. You say, yeah, this is a good carton. And you could train 200 images of this. And then you can take defects. You know, you bend the top of the carton. You punch a hole in the side or you tear something. And you train all those as bad samples. So this is OK. Your classifier works for good and bad. But what happens if you put your hand in front of the camera? Does it say it's good or bad? And this is trying to come up and test against all these other variable cases. This is the one where you get uh, some, some trouble. So bearing back in mind where we, where we go back to our conversation maybe a few minutes ago where we talked about operators classifying images of parts and you know that they disagree this 40% in the middle for, for edge cases. This should really be the goal for the automation. Can we get better than what the humans are doing or at least match what the humans are doing currently? rather than expecting to go straight in at 100%, because it's guaranteed the mm. humans are not doing it 100%. It's guaranteed. Um, humans are exceptional at doing complex uh, inspections. You know, you can pick up a part, 
you can look at it from several angles. You're taking 25 images a second in your in your mind. You're understanding how the light is working in the room. Your brain is recording as you're as you're moving the part around, and you can kind of sum up an average answer from all the images your eyes have seen uh, to give a result. Typically, with uh, machine vision, we have one picture from one direction, and we make a decision, and that's that's it. That's a different challenge, right? So. In terms of achieving the accuracy, I think it's a little bit about setting the expectation uh, with the customer. However, there are also other approaches that you can do. So say, for example, you have a good, bad classification. If your yield of your process is normally very good, so you have a 99.99% yield, then it's okay to set up quite a high threshold for your good classification tool. And you say, if I find something and I think it's good and it's less than 90%, I'm going to say it's bad. And so you can use a certainty to, to cause some rejections. In a practical sense, what does that mean? So we would have customers that make maybe 10, 20,000 parts a day. We maybe get one, 200 at the end of the shift that need to have manual inspection. It takes two minutes. We reduce the operator input by 99% rather than going well done. 100%. So in, in this case, it's a big success because now that, that operator can look after three or four machines rather than just uh, one at a time. So... You 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 still achieve an ROI, um, but yes, definitely that last one percent. It's 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 still a challenge. Okay, uh, which means that essentially, uh, in your opinion and expertise, this kind of human in the loop workflows, where uh, when the machine fails, the human is asked for judgment, uh, are popular and they cannot they can be accepted by uh, by you know your clients, so they're not opposing to these kind of hybrid architectures. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they can totally be accepted. And, and I, in fact, I recommend it for the first while normally, because until you have confidence over a period that uh, the system is going to make a good decision, you should really have a human there also to, to back it up. So you can start with a, a higher threshold limit, you know, uh, so that maybe is the first week or first month of the operation. Uh, the operator has more work, and then over time, you can you can tweak that limit to to make it uh, maybe less strict or more strict, depending on the number of false rejects you get, and you get to understand your process. I think it's a, probably a fallacy to say you can just plug it in and it's going to work straight away, unless your defects are very obvious. Then it's possible, but if they're for these edge cases, you you need to be careful with that for sure. But it's definitely acceptable Excellent. to have a human in the loop. Excellent. We're getting towards the end of this uh, conversation, David. Uh, we had um, noted here another couple of uh, questions before you, you know, we we uh, we let you go. The first one is, uh, um, you know, about you know future trends. Uh, certainly, one is about deep learning. Uh, maybe a second one is about human in the loop architectures or hybrid architectures. Uh, do you see any other trends that are uh, in the horizon? So I suppose the latest in the machine vision world is the idea of edge learning. So this is where you have uh, well pre-trained models and essentially you're like retraining the last one or two layers of the neural network. Um, so let's say we work with Cognix, so I have very good insight into their tools. From what I've seen, their edge learning is, is absolutely unbelievably good. It's really, really good. It's really better than what I expected. And they even have some more basic, uh, let's say, versions of cameras they've brought out now with some edge learning. 
uh, for OCR recognition. It's incredible. Really, you can do very, very difficult on, you know, uh, OCR on metals. It's very popular in automotive, for example, or, or even in the food manufacturing industry where they, they use these inkjet printers, which mm-hmm. which are very useful, but they, from a vision point of view, they cause a lot of problems because cartons, let's say, wobble on the line, then the, the print looks, you know, uh, more distorted. And this is tricky to get really very high read rates using traditional OCR. So by using deep learning, this is very powerful as well. So definitely edge learning uh, makes it easier because first of all, you don't need the same size data set. Second of all, you can train on camera, so you don't need a GPU. So this this is a big barrier actually for deploying, uh, let's say large scale uh, deep learning is that you need a GPU to be able to train uh, some of the other models uh, and not all customers, let's say, have access to that. And also the tools that are used for training this data and labeling the data have become much better in, in machine vision. And I'm, I don't know all the tools, but from the ones I've seen, let's say, in the machines or in the computer vision world for labeling data, I think this is actually one area where machine vision is, is ahead, is actually in the labeling uh, tools and UIs that are available. Um, because, for example, labeling uh, data with semantic segmentation, um, for, for, for these very tiny defects looking for like cracks or, or foreign matter. This is very, very advantageous to have uh, good UI tools. And I think that because m- machine vision in general has uh, tried to get direct to the customer, so the customers are able to use the tools and maintain the tools, they've put a lot of effort. They don't need a data scientist to be able to use the tools now. And because of that, it's a, it's a big change. So I think this is a very important trend and we'll see a big change over the next next one to two years uh, in the deployment of these types of systems. Cool. Very last question, David. And so this is, um, you know, the winner and users questions. So I'm going to fire like three pairs of items and you're going to pick the winner. Okay. 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 And then we, and then we wrap up this episode. Okay. Let's start from, um, from the easy one. Okay. Cognex Cayens. Which one do you pick? I pick Cognex. Um, and not because, I, I tell you why, I have, okay, hands free, I have a, an affiliation to Cognex for sure. But um, from what I have seen, uh, the Keyens tools, they do not have the level of deep learning. Or in fact, I don't know if they have any deep learning, let's say per se. They might have some AI for parameter optimization, but I don't think they have any deep learning directly on on camera. And I definitely haven't seen any edge learning tools from them. So because that because of that, and because I'm so passionate about uh, you know AI technologies, I, I would I would choose Cognex in this case. Yeah. Okay. So the second one is going to be even easier: machine vision or computer vision. Oh, well, I suppose machine vision is a subset of computer vision. Um, you know, it's, it's a specific field for me. Uh, I like working in machine vision. Uh, it's it's an area I, I've worked in vision in different forms, from the microscopy level to the to the wide angle level uh, for a number of years now. Uh, computer vision is something I'm also fascinated by. I'm really fascinated by like uh, self-driving cars, for example, uh, and, and the use and the varying environments. This is so challenging, you know, and I'm very excited to see the outcome, what will be uh, when we eventually get fully self-driving cars that are safe. It's a big challenge. And uh, so I don't know. For this one, it's really hard to choose, honestly, because I respect both fields really a lot. And uh, I think I would have a draw on that one, to be honest. Okay, last one, bespoke or off-the-shelf 
quality assessment? Oh, for me, off the shelf. I'm a business owner, off the shelf. Like, off the shelf. I can sell it quicker, awesome. right? Um, and this is one of the things, I suppose, um, uh, and I'll put a tiny plug here. Um, we've developed a, a, a robotic inspection system called Visible over the last three years. And the idea of this was to make it easy for customers to use uh, robots with cameras to implement inspection of assemblies. And we're actually getting quite good traction on that now at the moment. And it's it's very interesting to see that um, I suppose the thought process at the start was we can sell this as a tool to the customer that they can use. And we can we can have this, even though each factory has their own database or the different way of storing and handling data, we can make this like 95, 96% off the shelf and customize the last four. And this is working out to be a very good move for us um, at the moment because it just allows us to give that bit of customization to the customer with minimal amount of retesting. And it's just working quite well from a software development point of view. So um, definitely off the shelf is, is the way to think about this. Excellent. David, if our audience uh, want to uh, reach out, where can they find you? Yeah, so our website is www.visca.ie. If you want to learn about Visible specifically, you can go to www.robot-inspection.com. And if you want to contact me, info at visca.ie is a good place to, to fire your email. And uh, yeah, I look forward to talking if anyone has questions. It's really cool. David, thanks a lot. This was a terrific uh, conversation. Have a great uh, Friday. And uh, yes, we hope to have you here for a follow-up conversation very soon. Excellent. Thanks for having me on. It's been really fun. And uh, yeah, I've really enjoyed this. So thanks.